0: All right, if you'll take the copy of God's Word this morning and turn to Romans chapter 6 is where we'll uh, be looking to here in just a few moments, and then also paragraph 3 of chapter 21 of the Confession of Faith. We've been dealing with uh, the subject of Christian liberty and liberty of conscience, and so today we're dealing with paragraph 3. I'm going to go ahead and read the paragraph, and then we'll point us over to Romans 6, The first couple of verses, paragraph 3 reads this way, They who, upon pretense of Christian liberty, do practice any sin or cherish any sinful lust, as they do thereby pervert the main design of the grace of of the gospel to their own destruction. So they wholly destroy the end of Christian liberty, which is that being delivered out of the hands of all our enemies... We might serve the Lord without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. Paragraph three really brings us to the end or the grand design of Christian liberty. It tells us that the end or the design of Christian liberty is that because we have been delivered out of the hands of all our enemies, those enemies that we uh, very carefully covered a number of weeks ago, those ten... Things or 10 expressions we have been delivered from in order that we might serve the Lord without fear in holiness and righteousness. In other words, Christian liberty is to lead us to liberty and freedom in obeying God. Obeying God from and free from man-made commandments and man-made traditions, which we looked at extensively last Lord's Day. But notice this emphasis on the word pretense. Uh, Pretense is simply defined or means an attempt to make something that is not the case appear true. So if we act on pretense, it's an attempt to make something that is not the case appear true. Therefore, the paragraph here says that those who, upon pretense of Christian liberty, In other words, those who make it appear to be something that it's not. They appear to make it say, is this what this really means? Notice there's a very clear directive here that they do practice any sin, destroy and pervert the design of the grace of the gospel to their own destruction. So acting upon pretense is not good, especially in the realm of this Christian liberty, So what is being spoken here, and as we'll look at Romans 6 here in a moment, is that those who are practicing sin uh, because of Christian liberty, or in other words, those who say, I continue in sin because it's my Christian liberty to do so, I think we can paint this very broadly, and I think this is true across the board. Those who practice sin in the name of Christian liberty know nothing of Christian liberty. So if you say i'm going to practice sin as part of my christian liberty that just tells everyone around you that you know nothing about christian liberty because that's the exact opposite of what liberty is Uh, there has never been nor will there ever be christian liberty or freedom to sin so if we ever get the idea that scripturally god has given me the liberty to sin you're reading something other than the Bible. You're reading something other than the scriptures because there is not Christian liberty to sin. Uh, In fact, liberty, instead of moving us more towards sin, should actually push us further away from sin into more obedience unto God with what as the end result, that we might serve the Lord with all of our days. So there is an intentional uh, directive here that the confession writers, of course, were writing about, and of course they were basing this upon scriptural uh, basis. Uh, you remember when we studied Romans chapter 6, uh, Paul, when he introduced that great chapter, he said, what shall we say then? Now, we didn't talk about Christian liberty when we studied Romans 6 a number of months ago, but that's exactly what Paul was talking about. He was talking about, do we truly have Christian liberty to sin? He says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Two questions, remember, he asked. God forbid. That's the strongest note of nothing could be further from the truth. In other words, Paul is destroying the principle and the concept of pretense. You cannot, under the guise of Christian liberty, make something true that isn't. He goes on and he says, how shall we, notice he's making a very clear distinction between those that are dead to sin, those who have been redeemed, live any longer therein. And of course, you know, he goes on and he talks in that chapter about uh, being baptized into Christ's death. So Paul very clearly teaching that Christian liberty has never given us a a right or a opportunity to be utilized to sin. So really what paragraph three is doing along with what Paul has said here is we're turning our attention to truly define what Christian liberty is not and what it actually is. Not in pretense, but in truth. So we have already established this fact. Uh, We understand that Christian liberty does not consist in continuing to sin. We are under the liberty of Christ, no doubt. We are free in Christ, but that does not mean it's okay to sin. That doesn't mean that it's okay to use that liberty to accomplish or fulfill the lust of our flesh, but rather what it does mean is that we should use our liberty for the cause of Christ and to do good with that. Our Christian liberty should be used to ask ourselves the question, what good can I do with my Christian liberty towards somebody else? Not what rights do I have to do the things I want to do. Uh, We're to use our liberty in Christ for good, for the good of others. Now later on in that particular chapter that we just read the first couple of verses, Paul writes in Romans 6 verses 15 through 18, if you want to follow, he asks another question. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Here's that strongest denial again. God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? Another question. Whoever you're serving, whoever you're obeying, that's who you're a servant to. So there's an exact opposite here. If you're a servant to sin, you cannot be a servant to Christ. That's why he calls it pretense. So if you say, I'm a servant of God, but yet I believe Christian liberty gives me the right to sin as I choose, you can't have both. It's one or the other. You're either a servant to sin or you're a servant to Christ. That's what Paul's talking about there. Uh, verse uh, verse eight seventeen. but God be thanked that ye were, past tense, the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free, there's your liberty, from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. So now that we're free from sin, what does that mean? Does that mean we never sin anymore? No, remember, we learned a number of weeks ago, we're free from the curse of the law. The law no longer condemns us because we have had the law fulfilled by Christ. So we're not under that law in the same sense. Now, that doesn't mean that we're free to do whatever we want. Uh, Some of you uh, may be familiar with this term. If you're not, it's new, and that's okay. Uh, An antinomian. Um, An antinomian is the false doctrine uh, which teaches... Christians are freed, and notice what they say, by grace from the necessity of obeying the Mosaic law. In other words, they say grace frees us from having to obey the Mosaic law or the moral law, if you want to be more specific. So what are antinomians actually rejecting? They're rejecting the very notion of obedience. So what an antinomian would say, they would say obeying God is legalistic. And of course, we've heard that term more than once here um, about what legalism is and what legalism is not. So an antinomian is, is, in a sense, disregarding God's law. They say grace allows us to be free from God's law. Now think about, again, we don't have time today to go down all the, what, all the things that would imply. What would that make true about the believer's life? There would be no bounds. There would be no restraints. There would be nothing that prevented you from fulfilling every lust because what would you say? You would simply say, by grace, I'm free to do this. Now, it's hard to believe that people actually believe this way, but there are those. Uh, Antinomian is very prevalent today. It's not some old term. Uh, There are many, many who live by this false standard. So, Christian liberty rather should drive us to seek to do his commandments even more. Why? Because we're told that his precepts are good. We are to delight in the law of God. Psalm 119.45 actually tells us that to obey him actually brings liberty. So there's there's this correlation between obedience to God actually making you more free. And that's a beautiful expression. Now at the time of Paul, when he's penning Romans chapter 6, and ever since then, there has always been a line of people when they hear justification, their legal standing, justification by faith alone, they think, since I'm legally justified before God, I am now free to do whatever I want because I'm saved. And it's really, it kind of has some of its root system. And again, in the once saved, always saved movement, now again, there's principles about that that are true, but not to the extent that they're taking it. Uh, they're basically saying once saved, always saved means I am truly am justified, and because I'm justified, I can do whatever I want. I can't lose my salvation. Well, you still have to ask yourself the question, are you redeemed to begin with, if that's your attitude? Is that really, is that, I mean, if I'm running around saying, I'm committing this sin because I'm once saved, always saved. I'm, I'm going to question it. Now, I don't have a right to, to judge your heart, per se, as to whether you're one of his, uh, but that's a strange way of demonstrating your salvation by saying, I fulfill whatever lust I want to fulfill because I'm free by grace to do that. That's not what the term free grace means. It doesn't mean you're free to do whatever you want to do. Now, Paul dealt with that in Romans 3:8, and he's dealing with this concept He says, and not rather, notice his wording here, as we be slanderously reported, and some affirm that we say. You see, what started happening to Paul is people started saying, hey, Paul's teaching a doctrine of justification that basically says, once you're saved, you can do whatever you want to do. People were slandering Paul, saying that was his doctrine. Now imagine that, slandering. The apostle Paul being slandered and being said about him he's teaching something that's just not true pretense taking that and making it appear to be that's what he's saying or that's what he has said now he goes on and he says not as we have slanderously been reported about us let us do evil that's what they were saying that good may come now he uses a very strong last expression whose damnation is just So Paul's accusing, or some were accusing Paul, that according to his doctrine, it doesn't matter what a man does. That if you're truly saved, it doesn't matter what you do, because you can't lose your salvation. You can do evil if you want, and God would, here's how far this goes, folks. That would say that God is even glorified in you fulfilling your lusts. That's that's how far this goes. This is is really an unhinged doctrine that, of course, has a lot of dangerous doors along along that pathway. You're not going to be condemned because you're justified. Paul's reply is simply this, their damnation is just. What's he saying? They're condemned if that's their belief. They're damned under that thought process. Paul didn't have to use a lot of words many times. Sometimes he could get very point, pointed into the direct to the point, get to the heart of the matter. Of course, he's right on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's the, it's the Spirit of God that's getting right to the point. The damnation of those is just. A person who thinks this way, instead of really being justified, is on their way to everlasting damnation. A regenerate soul doesn't think this way. Now, does it mean you don't sin? no. But if you're using your Christian liberty as a license to fill the lust of your flesh, you really need to examine your heart. Because that's not the way the regenerate child of God thinks. Now, even in the time some of us are familiar with that time, some are not as familiar with it, during the time of the Reformation, there were those who openly, again, see if this sounds like society today, openly indulged in sin upon the very pretense of Christian liberty. This is not new. This is not something that we've thought up. You know, I I know we live in the day and age when we see something happen and we say, boy, things were never like this before. Um, Most things have just things that have continued since the beginning of time. There may be new expressions of it, but the problem is still the same. It's the depravity of man's heart. Man's heart's not getting any more depraved than it's already been. We all are depraved. Even that person that you think, well, I'm not that depraved. Actually, you are. You were before the redeeming grace of Christ saved you. You're capable of just the same. So even during the Reformation and during that time, their condemnation was also likewise just towards them. Christian liberty never consists in the liberty to sin. And what does the confession say? Those who claim this pervert the main design of the grace of the gospel, how far does it go? To their own destruction. It's a damning doctrine. And this is not just some light difference of opinion. This is not one of those things where we say, well, that's your opinion on this. No, that's a damning doctrine. Those who claim it pervert it. Christians, Christians, truly regenerate, are to use their Christian liberty to do good, not to sin. Uh, You can turn over there if you'd like, but I'll read it to you. Galatians 5, 13 through 14, we've referenced this a number of times over the last four or five weeks. Paul writes, For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. Now think about that for a moment. When Paul's writing and penning the letter to the Galatians, he certainly has the letter, the epistle to Romans in mind. He has this in mind. This is not a random thought of liberty and occasion to flesh, uh, to the flesh, misusing grace. But he goes on, he says, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Paul dismantles, destroys, cuts down any idea that Christian liberty gives you freedom to sin. Now you'll notice if your confession actually has footnotes, uh, there may actually be a footnote also for Luke 1, verses 74 and 75. Now some of the confessions, I'm not sure if the one that is out there does. The one out there doesn't have it. Um, there are some confessions that actually have added this particular one in here. I understand why it maybe isn't in some. But this, the confession is using the wording in the paragraph that actually is lifted or taken right from Luke 1, verses 74 and 75 about the definition of Christian liberty. Here's what Luke 1, 74 and 75 says. That he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all the days of our life. That, That almost exact expression is being used in the confession and also being used and it's being taken there from Luke 1. Notice again, delivered out of the hand of our enemies we'll serve Him without fear. How do we serve him in holiness and righteousness? How long? All the days of our life. So we've been delivered from all those things that were mentioned back in paragraph one, not so that we'd go back to them, but that we would turn from them and rightly and properly serve God. That's the point. It would be the exact opposite of what God had designed for grace to be saved by grace, justified legally in his sight, and then to turn around and go back to where you came from. That's why Paul uses so many of those terminologies, as were some of you, right? He's he's talking about that which you once were. You You don't use grace to go back. You're using grace to serve God more appropriately. So what does that mean we've been delivered from? We've been delivered from sin, to sinless perfection? No. But we are, have been delivered from the power of sin over us. It should not be in charge of us. But rather, we should be seeking the holiness of God and to worship him as his, our heavenly father. So Christian liberty given us the freedom to obey. It's kind of opposite, isn't it? We, we use Christian liberty in our world today as saying liberty gives me the freedom to not do something. True Christian liberty gives you the freedom to actually do something, obey God. That's what true, true Christian liberty is. So as we've been delivered, those things we've been delivered from, and I don't know other way to put this, the things we've been delivered from are not to be our friend, but rather should now be our enemies. So, the things that were once the pattern of your life should now be the enemy of your life, not friendship with. And that's really the idea of using liberty as a license to sin. It's not just holding hands with the enemy, you're still in camp with the enemy because you're still part of the enemy. It's not you might you might be on the outside of Christ. No, if your if your license or your liberty says I can do whatever I want, you're outside the body of Christ. If that's your attitude, again, that's a bold statement. But there's nowhere Scripture you can point out that God says that that's a mark of grace. Matter of fact, he uses even Proverbs uses disgusting principles of a dog returning to its vomit. That that's what using grace as a liberty to sin is. Now nobody does that. And that's why God uses such a disgusting illustration and that's how we should look at those things we've been delivered from. Christian liberty isn't a freedom from doing something, it's a freedom to obey God. And that really is a powerful, powerful truth. Now we understand We're going to have obstacles in our life. We understand that, and Paul, all of Romans 7 is Paul's testimony of his life with the battle between his new nature and his old nature. But you'll notice his attitude was never, well, you know what, maybe what God really meant is I could use my liberty as a license to sin. No, he despised the fact that he didn't do what he was supposed to do all the time and that he kept sinning. That's the right heart attitude to a person who truly understands Christian liberty. Now, although we're free, and here's, we, it's, it's, it's a little bit sad we have to establish this, but I think it's, it's at least true for my own mind needs to hear this. We're free because we are not bound, although we are free rather, we are not bound bound to the power of sin, yet we cannot claim we have absolute freedom. There's a danger of going so far the other way that we say, I'm autonomous. I am am my own God. We are to be subject to God. Peter writes in 1 Peter 2.16, as free, not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Now, this is misusing your liberty as a means of carrying out God's wrath, God's decrees. Some people put themselves in a place of, all right, I understand my liberty isn't to sin, but I have liberty to carry out as God's servant his decrees. Now it's interesting that the word servant in 1 Peter 2.16, it's again, not a Greek scholar. Don't ever come to me and say, are you a Greek scholar? Because my answer will probably always be to you, no, I'm not. But I can look it up. And it's a Greek, which it's the same meaning that means slave. Now I know because of the cultural issues and the sad cultural issues that we've had throughout our country's history and history around the world, we don't use the word slave anymore because of its connotations. But there is a difference between a servant and a slave in its purest form. A servant, which is the word being used here, it still is a slave, but it's a servant that puts themselves into slavery. It's a person that puts themselves into service. The reality of what we saw in our nation, the sad reality is the ability or the opportunity that someone believed they could own another human being is an absolute travesty. And I don't care what side of the fence you're on, you're not going to convince me otherwise. It's a travesty. That it ever came to a place where we thought that we had the right to choose who we're going to own based upon the color of their skin. We are free, but what is the very reason that we are free? We're free because we're slaves. It's, it almost sounds like a contradiction. We're slaves to whom? We're slaves to Christ. We're slaves to God. Our freedom truly comes from our service to Christ. That's why when Paul even spoke about himself literally being a servant to Christ, he's talking about even more than just the physical nature of being a servant. It's talking about the whole attitude of what Christian liberty is. What does that mean? You are free to live as a servant of God, obeying and pleasing him. That's your freedom. As a slave to Christ, you're free to obey him. I'm free to obey him. I'm free to please him. I can never obey God or please God too much. Right? It's just like when Jesus was speaking with Peter and Peter wanted to know how many times should I forgive? And Peter thought he was doing Jesus a service by saying, I'm willing to forgive seven times. I don't think Peter would have forgiven seven times. Much less what Jesus was telling him is, no, you're supposed to forgive with indefinite. There is no limit to this. You can never forgive too much. You can never please God too much. You can never oh, ever never truly over-obey God. I mean, I've never, I have never once in pastoral counseling and in the ministry ever dealt with someone who came to me and said, Pastor, here's what my struggle is. I over-obey God. I, I, I'm just finding I just obey God too much. Can you imagine? I mean, I'm just to be honest. I have a hard time keeping a straight face. Really? Over, you think your problem's over-obedience? I please God too much. Look, I've, I've seen and heard people stand behind pulpit that that's what they were telling me. Look, I am such a choice servant of God. You can only hope to acquire and get how high I have because I'm pretty much, when God looks down, he looks and he sees, now that's a preacher. He always over-obeys and he always over-pleases. None of us are guilty of that. But you're free to obey God. You're free to please God. You know, the, 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 the big issues that come in churches are always so dangerous. It's, it's never about how do we please God more. It's how do I get my way? How do I get my way in this church? How do I get, how do I get the pastors and the elders to kind of see they're doing this wrong? Or how do I get people to see my way? And, and we start gathering our little followings of people. You see, we're not, we're not to use it as a cloak or a cover to, to carry out something that's malicious. I don't read a lot of this commentator, and it's not because I, I can tell you that I fully disagree or agree. It's just not one that um, I, I, I refer to him sometimes. It's Albert Barnes uh, speaking on 1 Peter 2.16. He says, but as the servants of God not free from all restraint, not at liberty to indulge in all things, but bound to serve God in the faithful obedience of his laws. Thus bound to obey and serve him, they could not be at liberty to indulge in those things which would be in violation of his laws and which would dishonor him. He's spot on with that. So it's not free to do whatever you want. It's free to obey God. So we'll finish, there's really two, two real, two big dangers. I mean, there's a lot of applications we could make this morning, but the first overriding one I think you could see is the danger of turning liberty into a license. That's the danger, right? The danger is, as we turn Christian liberty into a license. Again, we've been talking for weeks now, believers being freed from the bondage of sin, free from Satan, free from the present evil world, so that we can do what serve christ in righteousness christian liberty is not an end in itself and i hope we understand what that means it's not even the ultimate goal the liberty that we have in christ we talk about our salvation being a precious possession it's a gift of god to understand christian liberty why do you have liberty that liberty that you could turn into a license to sin that liberty was purchased with the blood of christ so to say god by grace gives me a license to do whatever i want is to make a mockery of the cross it's to make a mockery of christ's blood it is to simply say you know what that doesn't really mean anything to me all that means something to me is that i'm free to do whatever I want to do. So there's a danger in that. And along those same lines, to claim that Christian liberty gives one the right to practice any sin, and notice what the confession again says, or cherish any sinful lust. I had to read that two or three times. You know how sometimes your mind sees something and you say, oh yeah, practice any sin. And then I read it again, I read it again, read it again, or cherish any sinful lust? You see, even when you think you get victory over the outward sin, what about the sinful lust that you cherish? It's, it's the, it's the age old question when a person says, even like the rich young ruler we, we learned about in Matthew months ago, I've kept all of your laws from my youth up. So let's even say we could obey all of the laws we still have a problem. We still have a problem in here. We can clean up the outside and as Jesus told the Pharisees, but inside it's filthy. We can tell, we can we could def, we could determine and define what a good Christian person looks like. Somebody could put together a handout, we'll put it in the bulletin next week. Here's what a true Christian looks like, acts like, speaks, talks like. We could get us all to be a lot of little clones walking around, and we could all look the part and seem the part, and yet we still have this big problem. The sinful lust that we cherish. The sinful lust that nobody else can see but you and God. Nobody else in this room knows that you cherish it. It's that pet sin, it's that besetting sin, it's that one that when you're by yourself, when you're alone on your kitchen table, you're alone in your bedroom, wherever it is, you're thinking about that thing, and you're thinking about that lust, and you're saying, hmm, would God be okay if I indulge in this? Because after all, I am justified. That would be pretense. To make something appear to be God's word that really isn't God's word. You see, Christian liberty that says it gives me the right to do this is not only wicked, but it totally goes against the very end to which and why Christ purchased our liberty to begin with. You see, our freedom that Christ gave to us, he gave us freedom to deliver us from sin, not to give us a reason to go back to it. Now, there's a lot of implications of what I just said, right? And we have, we have, we have a little bit of a problem in our country, and again, it's, it's, this, isn't, this has nothing to do, this isn't a government problem. This has nothing to do with that. But we have have access to so many things. Helpful, useful, needful things. But we also have access to a lot of things that really serve no purpose but to fulfill the lust of our flesh. And if we're not careful, we will find ourselves finding things that, look, this isn't inherently wrong. This is not wrong in and of itself. There's, again, we've gone through periods throughout church history where churches have stood up and said, look, if you own this, 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 or this, you're just a wicked, vile sinner. And I've said it from then, I'll say it again. It's not that object. The object is not inherently evil in itself. It's how that's used. That's why we saw generations of people who gave up things only to find themselves still empty because they couldn't give up what their heart was cherishing what their heart was lusting after. It was still there. The man who who puts his cigarettes on a so-called altar, the young person, and our younger kids here don't even know what this is, who put their records and their CDs on on the burn pile, still had a problem. The problem was still there. I watched a preacher one time roll in a big screen TV and he hit the TV with a bat. Like that was solving the problem. If you just do this, kids, you'll never struggle with lust anymore. All he did was destroy the TV. The TV itself not the problem. It's the heart of man that's the problem. There are people who divide over these issues. They simply say, well, if you do this, then I, we can't have fellowship. Listen, that's not what this is about. But I am warning us that doesn't mean that that can't become a stumbling block to you. So just because I say it's not not inherently wrong, it still can make you stumble. And if it does, right, it's not inherently sinful, you're not prohibited in an absolute sense, although some will tell you that, they do present vulnerabilities to your walk with God. Paul himself said there are things that are lawful, but they're not expedient. Now again, be very careful about being judge and jury and executioner when you pour on somebody else what is expedient. Because what may be expedient for you doesn't necessarily mean it's expedient for them. And just because it's lawful doesn't mean it's unlawful for you and for them if they do it. But here's what we can become guilty of. We can find ourselves taking in and overindulging on the things of this world that are feeding that, right? If if there's any country in the world, any generation that is guilty of gluttony and overindulgence, it's this one. I mean, we cannot get enough and it just keeps coming and coming and coming and we want more, we want more, we want more and then we stand up and we say, but I'm satisfied in Christ, are we really? You see, the reality here is, is we've been delivered, but we can become guilty if we can continue to expose ourselves to things that can do injury to our soul. So what the confession is doing, I think, along with what Paul is writing here, Romans 6, is simply telling us it's describing an abuse, right? An abuse of liberty that they, by their words and what Paul was saying, perverts the main design of the grace of the gospel to the destruction of the souls. Look, there's been more than a handful of people, and I don't have names, I don't have a book I can point you to, of professing Christians who have been led astray, most often by willful leading, to an illegitimate use of liberty. And it's led to the ruin of their soul. But then there are others, truly professors of Christ, who unwisely use that liberty. And I I can't begin to stress to you how much harm you're doing to yourself if you unwisely use this liberty. To where maybe you're not perverting it, you're not necessarily destroying it, but you might be using it as a means to justify something and using grace as a reason as to why you can do it. I think that happens more than what we were willing to admit. We don't say it, but remember that cherished sin in our heart? That's what's going on. You're justifying it. Why do I have the right to do this? Usually it has to do with your circumstances. Usually it usually has to do with what's going on in your life. I have a right to act this way because someone else is acting this way towards me. It's kind of like the principle of unforgiveness. I don't have to forgive them. No, Christian liberty ought to say, I have the freedom and the joy and the privilege of forgiving them. Because you know what unforgiveness does? It eats you alive with bitterness. There are so many Christians walking around who are so sour and bitter because they will not forgive. And yet... They want to hear hear about salvation. They want to hear about the gospel. They want to hear about living the Christian life. But boy, you get on that subject of forgiveness and it's like, whoa, don't go there. Because if you knew what this person did to me, look, your liberty doesn't give you the freedom to not forgive. Your liberty gives you the freedom and the ability and the power to forgive. That's the difference. The reason you can forgive somebody who does something so terrible to you is because of Christian liberty, not in spite of it. So be very careful. We conclude this chapter, and I've referenced some of his material throughout our studies throughout the years from Sam Waldron. He says, liberty is not the right to do as I please. Liberty is the right to do as God pleases. Without fear. And that's truly what Christian liberty is. So, God, help us from the pretense, making it appear to be something that it's not, saying this is what grace teaches, and understand the reality of what the Bible does say about what Christian liberty is. Amen.